So for the purposes of today's talk, I'll be discussing several aspects of weight stigma, which can be broadly understood as social devaluation of people because of their higher body weight or body size. And at the foundation of this stigma are multiple strongly ingrained stereotypes that people who have higher body weight or larger bodies are lazy or gluttonous, uh, lacking in willpower and discipline, um, unmotivated to improve their health and personally to blame for their weight. And it is these societal stereotypes that are so pervasive and really set the stage for different forms of victimization and prejudice and discrimination. And it's my perspective that if we are to really have a comprehensive and accurate understanding of the complexity of obesity, we have to include acknowledgement and understanding of the role that weight stigma plays and recognize that it is both a social injustice and a public health issue. And I think there are many compelling reasons why we need to consider weight stigma in the context of obesity. We know that weight stigma penetrates the lives of people who have obesity, who face injustices because of stigma in many different domains of society. We know that weight stigma interferes with prevention and treatment and has numerous consequences for public health, which I'm going to discuss today. And and beyond this, we also know that weight stigma affects public views of people who have obesity. It affects how obesity is framed in our society. It can affect the research and science that we do about obesity. And it can also affect policies that are relevant for people with obesity. So as such, I have really spent my, my own research career studying weight stigma from different perspectives. And so although I'm a psychologist by training, I'm, I'm more interdisciplinary in my research. Um, my, my work crosses areas of psychology and public health, education, policy, and medicine. And, and I believe that an interdisciplinary approach is really fundamental to address a problem like weight stigma because it really infiltrates so many aspects of our society. And so in addition to studying the nature and the extent of weight stigma in different societal settings, my work has examined how people internalize weight stigma and the impact of, on health, which I'll be talking about today, but also the ways in which weight stigma is communicated to the media and public health communication, um, ways to try to reduce weight stigma, and, and policy and legislative strategies to address this problem. So what has become extremely clear in the work that we and others have done over the past few decades is that weight stigma is present in almost every life domain, ranging from close interpersonal relationships to educational settings, to the workplace and healthcare and the broader mass media. And although today I'm not going to be discussing these different societal settings of weight stigma, I do think it's important to acknowledge that one of the reasons that we observe such negative health consequences of weight stigma is that it's essentially impossible to escape this in one day in one's daily life. There's really not a place where a person is really protected from these experiences. As well, it's important to acknowledge that the experience of weight stigma is not unique to a certain time period in a person's life. It really is something that can be present and persist throughout the lifespan. So we know from research that weight stereotypes and biases are present as early as preschool, around age three or four, and continue throughout late adulthood. So for individuals who have high body weight early on in their life as a child or as an adolescent, confronting weight stigma may be a lifelong struggle, which really begins in the form of teasing and bullying, but then expands over time to include unfair treatment and discrimination. And again, I think this lifespan context is also important to consider when we start to think about the health consequences that occur from weight stigma. 
So before I jump into a discussion of weight stigma as a public health issue, I also want to comment on the prevalence of weight stigma based on what we know from research. And most data on the, the prevalence rates has come out of North America so far. And what we've seen across national studies in the U.S. is that pooled prevalence estimates of weight discrimination for people who have high body weight range from about 19 to 40 percent with the highest rates of discrimination among those who have the highest body weight. And one of the studies that we did examining prevalence was, was back in 2008. And we used a national US data set where we wanted to compare the prevalence of reported weight discrimination to other forms of discrimination. And what we found is that it's one of the most common forms of discrimination reported by Americans, especially for women. Um, it was the most frequent form of discrimination that they experienced besides gender. And since then, in a series of national studies, um, we see fairly consistently that approximately 40% of Americans American adults report that they've experienced some form of weight stigma, whether it's in the form of teasing or unfair treatment or discrimination. Now, I also want to share with you some very recent multinational data of ours, which examined people's experiences of weight stigma across six different countries, including the UK. Now, this is a, a weight management sample. So it's adults who are members of WW, which is formerly Weight Watchers in each of these countries. So it's not a general population prevalence estimate, but nevertheless, this data show high percentages of adults across these countries reporting that they have been teased mistreated or discriminated against because of their weight. And if you also look towards the bottom of this slide, um, we see strikingly high percentages of people across countries reporting that they have been stigmatized because of their weight by family members, by doctors, coworkers, colleagues, and friends. And what I think is interesting about these findings is that there were very few and often no differences in people's reported experiences of weight stigma between these different countries. Even though the prevalence rates of obesity do differ in these countries, ranging, I think, from about 23% in France to 37% in the U.S. So this is some of the first cross-country evidence that exists comparing people's experiences of weight stigma. When it comes to children and adolescents, I also want to say that weight stigma is prevalent as well and is experienced in the form of teasing and bullying. And our research in the U.S. has found that parents view weight-based bullying to be the most common form of bullying that children face. And these views tend to persist regardless of parents' own body weight or their child's weight. And similarly, in some of the work that we've done with adolescents, they typically report that weight-based bullying is the most common reason they witness their peers being bullied at school. In some of our research, we found that about 95% of adolescents observe their peers being bullied about their weight at school. Um, and we've done a little work on this outside of the U.S. as well, looking at multinational comparisons of public perceptions in, uh, of youth bullying. And what you see in this graph here is a study in which we examined public perceptions about youth bullying in the U.S. and Canada and Iceland and Australia. And as you can see pretty clearly here, people across these countries view weight-based bullying as the most common reason for why children in their country are bullied. And I will say again, in the research that we've done with US adolescents who have obesity, we consistently see about 90% reporting that they're teased or bullied because of their weight. And for most of them, um, these experiences have persisted for, for multiple years. 
these public perceptions align with what has been observed collectively in research evidence from many studies over the past couple of decades, which have really established the presence of weight stigma in many countries around the world. And much of this work has surveyed the general public in these different countries about their attitudes and their biases and their stereotypes towards people with higher weight or obesity. Or they've assessed levels of uh, implicit bias using tools like the implicit associations test. And these graphs that you see here depict the countries around the world where weight stigma has been documented by researchers, which I think really underscores that this is a problem that can't be ignored. And these graphs actually come from work that was very nicely summarized by Alexandra Brewis, who I believe I saw on your seminar schedule for later this fall, which is terrific. So given this evidence of the widespread nature of weight stigma and that it occurs in multiple settings and across the lifespan, it's really critical to understand its implications for health behaviors and health outcomes. And more broadly, we have known for many decades that illness and disease-related stigma impairs health. And the list that you see here on this slide reflects examples of diseases or health conditions that have been strongly stigmatized, ranging from things like cholera to HIV-AIDS. And what these all have in common is that there has been broad recognition that stigma undermines their prevention and treatment, Public health policies have been created to address stigma as a legitimate barrier, and this has led to increased funding and research and programs to address stigma. But other stigma-related conditions haven't received this kind of attention. And when I started doing research on weight stigma almost 20 years ago, the stigma related to obesity was nowhere near this list of recognized stigmas. It really wasn't on the radar, and there's been really little research on it going back that far. So although there is a long-standing consensus that stigma undermines public health, this principle really wasn't being applied to obesity. And so while the stigma of obesity hasn't really been adequately recognized or addressed in the way that other stigmas have, we see from research evidence that it is certainly operating as an enemy of public health when we consider the numerous health consequences that result from weight stigma. And as you can see from this slide, weight stigma exerts many different influences on health in different ways. And we've learned that in addition to the emotional distress that people experience because of weight stigma, it directly impacts their eating behaviors, their levels of physical activity, and even their body's physiological stress responses. So I'd like to spend the next portion of this talk really focusing on how to unpack this slide, highlighting some of the key research findings that have really helped us to understand the psychosocial stress of weight stigma and its health consequences. And one of the striking findings that has emerged now in prospective research published really over the last seven years or so is that experiencing weight stigma or discrimination predicts weight gain and obesity over time. And importantly, these findings persist after accounting for baseline body weight and other sociodemographic factors. And what evidence shows us is that other forms of discrimination related to things like race or gender don't have these same effects on weight gain. It seems to be unique to weight-based discrimination. And this research includes prospective uh, findings both in the US and also from the UK, specifically in research by uh, Sarah Jackson and some of her colleagues. And this particular evidence has been important important in challenging societal weight stigma because there remain widespread beliefs in our society that stigmatizing people or shaming them about their weight will motivate them to lose weight. That stigma will somehow provide an incentive for weight loss. But what we see here from the evidence is that the opposite is true, that stigma is contributing to obesity and weight gain. And that stigma is ironically contributing to the very condition that people are being stigmatized for having. And this has been important in messaging to get the fields of medicine and public health really on board. It's also helped us to understand that weight stigma is not only a psychosocial consequence of obesity, but it's also a psychosocial contribution 
contributor to obesity. And again, I think this reinforces just how important it is to be addressing weight stigma in the context of obesity. Moreover, this predictive pattern between uh, weight stigma and weight gain uh, persists even when we look at early experiences of weight stigma in the form of weight teasing in adolescence. So as an example, uh, we've done some longitudinal analyses with the Project EAT cohort, which is led by Diane Newmark Steiner at the University of Minnesota. And this study has followed almost 2,000 adolescents for more than 15 years into their mid-30s. And what we found in this data is that both girls and boys who were teased about their weight in adolescence were more than twice as likely to have obesity 15 years later in their mid-30s compared to their peers who weren't teased about weight. And importantly, again, these analyses controlled for baseline body weight and sociodemographics. And, and so this tells us that weight stigma has implications for future weight gain in adulthood, even when these experiences happen early on. And so a key question to examine further is why are these associations occurring? Why is weight stigma increasing weight gain and obesity and what are the potential mechanisms? And one place to start looking for mechanisms is the emotional distress that weight stigma creates for people who experience it. And we know from substantial research evidence that weight stigma induces a range of psychological consequences, such as higher levels of depressive symptoms and anxiety, low self-esteem, poor body image, increased levels of substance use, and even suicidality. And the emotional toll of weight stigma is really considerable, especially when we think about the fact that weight stigma can also come from close family members and friends. So those close interpersonal relationships are not necessarily available as social and emotional support. And as we live in societies that really don't do much to challenge weight stigma, there aren't clear ways for people to seek support if they have experienced stigma, and that can exacerbate their distress. The, the psychological distress of weight stigma has been documented in, in both adults and in youth, in community samples, as well as uh, treatment-seeking samples. And importantly, a lot of these findings persist after accounting for BMI. And, and this is very important because there are studies that have demonstrated links between obesity and these different indices of psychological distress. But this evidence on weight stigma tells us that it's not body weight per se that is contributing to psychological distress, but rather the experience of stigma or teasing or victimization. And as we consider these psychological consequences of weight stigma and, and evidence that weight stigma predicts further waking, we can begin to think about mechanisms and ways that the psychosocial stress of weight stigma contributes to adverse health. Now, psychological distress is itself a negative consequence of weight stigma, but what I'd like to spend some time focusing on is that the psychosocial stress associated with weight stigma reinforces unhealthy coping strategies and responses to weight stigma, and it also contributes to self-blame and internalization of weight stigma. And both of these in turn promote behaviors that worsen health and may contribute to weight gain. So first, let's consider the links between weight stigma and eating behaviors. A very large literature shows that weight stigma is associated with maladaptive eating behaviors like binge eating. And we also see links with weight stigma and increased food consumption and unhealthy weight control and eating patterns. You know, as one example, adolescents who experience weight stigma in the form of teasing or bullying tend to have an 80% greater likelihood of severe binge eating compared to their peers who aren't teased about weight. So, so those who experience weight stigma have a higher prevalence and frequency of unhealthy eating patterns. And, and these links, again, are present in both adults and children, in both community and clinical samples, and a, a number of studies in this area control for BMI. 
one of the reasons why these links with maladaptive eating behaviors may be present is that people may be coping with the emotional distress of weight stigma in ways that really reinforce unhealthy eating behaviors. So as an example, we started looking at this about 15 years ago, and, and we studied um, a sample of over 2,400 women who were members of a self-help weight loss organization. And we asked them, how were they coping with weight stigma that they were experiencing? And women reported using all sorts of different coping strategies. Some were positive and, and some were not so positive. But one of the striking findings that emerged was that almost 80% reported that they tend to turn to food as a temporary coping mechanism, that eating was temporarily relieving their distress from stigma. And we know from the psychology literature that stigma is a form of stress and that eating is a common coping strategy in response to stress. And so this certainly makes sense in the context of these weight stigma findings. We've continued to see similar kinds of findings emerge time and time again in our studies. And this slide shows a more recent sample of a national community sample of U.S. adults. And we found, again, the more weight stigma that people report, the more that they report coping with stigma by engaging in disordered eating behaviors, increasing the amount of food they're eating and avoiding physical activity. And interestingly, we are actually seeing some of these links between weight stigma and unhealthy coping responses specifically during COVID. So we actually just published a study last month on this, again from the uh, Project EAT longitudinal cohort that I mentioned. And data for this study were collected in the spring and summer of 2020 to assess people's health behaviors during the pandemic, um, during both the months when the stay-at-home restrictions were in place, and then also later when they started to be gradually lifted in the summer. And our findings remained the same in both of these time periods. And what we found is that pre-pandemic experiences of weight stigma that adults had reported two years ago back in 2018 predicted worse eating and distress during the COVID outbreak compared to those who hadn't reported experiencing weight stigma before the pandemic. And specifically, these individuals who reported weight stigma back in 2018, they had much higher levels of using food and eating as a coping strategy for dealing with stress, and they were binge eating much more frequently. And so this tells us that under times of pandemic, when there is considerable stress and upheaval, that these patterns persist. And, and this obviously has concerning implications for, for health during this time period. Now, unfortunately, uh, we, what's also concerning in, is that these maladaptive eating coping responses in response to weight stigma appear to begin quite early in youth and adolescence. So as an example, uh, this slide is from a study we did with adolescents who had been teased or, or bullied about their weight in the last year. And we found that both boys and girls who reported emotional distress in response to weight-based bullying were more likely to cope by increasing their food consumption, binge eating, and avoiding physical activity. So these responses may set the stage for patterns that become ingrained over time and contribute to weight gain. And in addition to maladaptive eating behaviors, we also see from research evidence that when people experience weight stigma, they are less likely to engage in physical activity and exercise, often because physical activity settings are places where they feel vulnerable to being stigmatized or shamed about their weight. And in adults, experiencing weight stigma tends to induce negative feelings about engaging in physical activity and also uh, leads to lower intentions to be physically active. And in children and adolescents, we see a similar pattern where very high percentages report being teased about their weight during physical activities at school, which not surprisingly can lead kids to avoid physical activity classes or sports to try to escape the distress of these teased experiences, um, as well as reduce their engagement and participation in physical activity. 
And beyond eating and physical activity, the psychosocial stress of weight stigma may actually also exert negative effects on physiological stress. And that also has implications for weight gain. So we know from evidence that people who experience weight stigma or discrimination have elevated stress reactions, including worse physiological responses like higher levels of C-reactive protein, higher blood pressure, higher cortisol, higher A1C levels. And again, importantly, these findings persist independent of BMI. And that again tells us that it's the experience of weight stigma, not body weight per se, that is increasing vulnerability to these um, physiological responses. So when people react to weight stigma with elevated psychosocial distress, this can in turn have an effect on their physiological stress responses. And I, what's also interesting about this relationship is that even if people don't experience weight stigma directly, just being exposed to weight stigma that we see in the media can have negative implications for physiological stress and health behaviors. And my colleague, Natasha Shvey, has led several experimental studies to look at how exposure to weight stigma in the media affects people's stress responses and eating behaviors. And essentially, in these studies, uh, women of different body sizes were uh, participating and invited into the lab in individual sessions. And the, the woman was randomly assigned to one of two conditions. In one condition, um, they would watch a 10-minute video depicting television clips of very neutral nature scenes and advertisements. And in the other condition, they watched a 10-minute video consisting of uh, clips from the most popular uh, sitcom television shows and films in which characters were stigmatized, stereotyped, or made fun of for their weight. And participants' salivary cortisol levels were assessed both before and after watching either the weight stigmatizing video or the neutral video. And what was found is that those who watched that stigmatizing video had significantly greater cortisol reactivity when compared to those who watched the neutral video. And these findings were true for women regardless of their weight status showing that women find these kinds of stigmatizing clips to be stressful to watch, even if they themselves don't have a higher body weight. And that brings me to a point that I think is really worth highlighting, which is that weight stigma can be experienced and can have negative health consequences for people across diverse body sizes. So it's not only people at the highest body weights who suffer from weight stigma. And to illustrate this point, this slide summarizes a US study that we published last year with a large sample of sexual and gender minority adolescents. As you might imagine, being teased or bullied about their sexual or gender identity was very prevalent in this sample, but so was weight-based teasing. And weight-based teasing was common across diverse body sizes. So if you look at this table on this slide, you can see that the highest rates of weight teasing were those experienced by adolescents who have the highest body weight. But look how high the percentages are at lower body weight categories, even underweight body sizes. And so this highlights the importance of recognizing that Weight stigma is not only about having obesity, it can really affect people at any weight or size. You might also notice here that there were high rates of these youth reporting being teased about their weight, uh, not only in school, but from family members as well. And that adds to the struggles that these kids are facing. Moreover, in terms of the health consequences of, of this in the same study, we found that being teased about weight significantly increased the odds of many adverse health behaviors, ranging from maladaptive eating and using food to cope with stress to higher rates of substance use and trouble sleeping. And again, these health consequences occurred across body weight sizes of of, of these youth, um, showing that weight stigma really can have ne negative implications regardless of body size. And so this is something that I think doesn't get acknowledged as often as it, as it should, but we do need to pay attention to this. Okay, so now in addition to the way that people cope with weight stigma, another uh, key way in which weight stigma may 
incur negative health outcomes is through how people interpret stigmatizing situations through a process called internalization of weight bias. And what can happen when people experience weight stigma is that the negative societal judgments that they face can become an internalized process of negative self-judgment and self-blame. And so internalizing stigma happens when people are aware of weight-based stereotypes in their society. They apply these beliefs to themselves and they engage in self-directed stigma and personal blame. And many people who experience weight stigma also internalize weight stigma. And this does happen for people across different body sizes, but especially among those with higher weight and among those who are trying to lose weight. And we tend to see also higher levels of internalization in women compared to men. Now, why do people internalize stigma? Well, we have a lot of societal stigma, but we don't have very many visible efforts to challenge it. And we live in a very thin obsessed culture where the media perpetuates ideals of thinness and personal responsibility for body weight. And there just aren't enough initiatives that challenge these messages or support networks that are available to people um, that have already emerged for other stigmatized groups in our society. So with the exception of size acceptance groups, there really is not very much positive group identity to counteract society weight stigma. And we also live in a society where it's legal to discriminate on the basis of body weight. So it's not surprising that people who experience weight stigma turn this stigma inwards and blame themselves. One of the reasons why this matters is that research is showing that internalizing weight stigma can have the same negative health consequences as experiencing weight stigma. And in fact, research is increasingly showing that self-blame and self-stigma predict poor health more than the experience of stigma or unfair treatment itself. So internalization is contributing to poor health and potentially even more so than experiencing a stigmatizing encounter. And this has important implications for how we address weight stigma. So it's not only about the need to target interpersonal sources and societal settings where weight stigma occurs, but this also means we need interventions to address the individual's own self-stigma and blame and how this may be compromising their health. And we've seen in a number of our studies that internalization has some very concerning implications for weight management as well. So I've highlighted an example here, which is a study that we conducted with adults who had lost at least 10% of their weight in the past year. About half of them had maintained that weight loss and half of them had regained. And we wanted to get a sense of what role stigma might be playing in these two groups. And what we found is that the kinds of typical behaviors that are linked with sustained weight loss, like dietary monitoring and self-weighing, really weren't significant in either of these groups, but there was unique predictive value of weight stigma and specifically internalized stigma when it came to who maintained weight and who regained it. So what we found is that for every one unit increase in internalized weight stigma in the measure that we were using, the odds of maintaining weight loss decreased by almost 30%. And what this evidence suggests is that internalization and self-blame resulting from stigma may interfere with people's efforts to maintain weight loss regardless of how much stigma they've actually experienced. And another recent example here from our work is a, is a large U.S. study that we did with adults engaged in um, weight management who were in WW, formerly Weight Watchers. And again, we found that internalized weight stigma but not experienced weight stigma was associated with lower odds of weight loss, higher odds of weight gain, and worse weight management behaviors. And these findings persisted after we controlled for their BMI and sociodemographic characteristics. So again, we see that internalized weight stigma is playing a role in potentially creating uh, barriers. And if we return to the issue of how people cope with weight stigma, we're starting to see evidence that 
internalization of weight stigma aligns more with unhealthy coping strategies in response to experiences of weight stigma. So using that same WW sample that I just mentioned on the previous slide, we found that people who internalize stigma use more maladaptive coping strategies when they experience weight stigma. So for example, they're more likely to turn to disordered eating or avoiding exercise. And they also engage in fewer adaptive uh, strategies like seeking uh, social support. And I do want to take a moment to mention that internalizing weight stigma is not unique to adults. So emerging research with youth and adolescent samples is showing that they too internalize and blame themselves for the weight-based teasing and bullying that they, that they experience. And this internalization is similarly associated with adverse health behaviors and psychosocial consequences. So this is something that we need to be looking out for in, in children as well. So as we kind of summarize this evidence, it shows us the ways in which weight stigma may ultimately contribute to weight gain and obesity, as the psychosocial distress of experiencing weight stigma can give way to both unhealthy coping strategies to deal with this distress and internalization of stigma, both of which can reinforce unhealthy eating behaviors and low physical activity and heightened physiological stress, which all in turn can contribute to weight gain. And this can ultimately create a harmful cycle because with increased weight gain, this makes one more vulnerable to experiences of weight stigma, which sets this pathway in motion again. And so collectively, I think this highlights why it's so important to consider weight stigma in the context of obesity and why it's so important to address the ways that weight stigma impairs public health. We just simply can't effectively address obesity through prevention and treatment if we're not also recognizing and addressing the negative impacts of stigma on health behaviors and health outcomes and quality of life. At the same time, um, this accumulation of evidence on the harmful health consequences of weight stigma has also played a broader role as well. And I'd like to spend my last few minutes today talking about how this research evidence on the health consequences of weight stigma has played a role in broader efforts to address weight stigma at the societal level to try to really help shift societal attitudes and mobilize change. So first, research on the health consequences of weight stigma has really provided um, a critical and necessary foundation of knowledge and scientific credibility to the issue of weight stigma. Um, second, this research evidence has played a key role in helping to increase public awareness of this problem. Third, scientific evidence on the health consequences of weight stigma has really been a primary catalyst to mobilize the medical community to take this issue seriously. And then finally, this evidence has also been instrumental in influencing policy initiatives. So I'd like to spend um, a few minutes just highlighting some examples of each of these. So first and fundamentally, uh, research evidence on the harms of weight stigma has really been important to convince the public and the medical community and policymakers uh, that weight stigma needs to be addressed. We really needed to have a foundation of clear evidence to convince people that this is a prevalent problem and that it affects people's health and their lives. And this evidence was, was key to establish weight stigma really as a legitimate problem to give it credibility to help increase awareness and to uh, justify broader level responses. And second, this research has provided key information that has been broadly disseminated to increase public awareness. So scientists, in my opinion, and researchers really do have a, a responsibility to communicate their research findings to groups who can use it for meaningful action. And the mass media is one of those groups who can use it to increase awareness and, and to try to inspire action. So a lot of our research on weight stigma has received uh, national press attention in the U.S., and that has been very helpful to help put this issue on the radar in the general public. And we We've worked very hard to 
establish positive relationships with reporters and news outlets who now uh, look at us as credible scientific experts on this issue. So all the, the media pieces that I've highlighted on this slide report on how weight stigma harms people's health and how it reduces their quality of life using our research evidence. And so I think as part of efforts to address weight stigma more broadly, there needs to be ongoing communication between scientists and the press to really disseminate relevant and compelling evidence about weight stigma and its harmful impact. Um, the, another way that the research evidence has been very important here is um, it's been critical in mobilizing the medical community to address this issue. So a recent example that I've highlighted on this slide is a joint international consensus statement that was published in the journal Nature Medicine just in this past March of 2020. And more than 100 medical and scientific organizations worldwide endorsed a consensus statement really based on scientific evidence of weight stigma and pledged their support to end it. Um, this was developed out of a, an international conference um, by the World Obesity Federation and the American Diabetes Association. And a panel of 36 international experts reviewed the evidence on weight stigma and its harmful health consequences. They drafted um, almost 50 consensus statements reflecting this evidence and then voted. And 90% had very strong or unanimous agreement. And the final consensus document, including the pledge, was uh, submitted to scientific committees and executive boards of partner organizations. And this really, it was an initiative that was driven by the science and the evidence. And now for the first time, we have um, a global group of experts and organizations that are really speaking with one voice to condemn weight stigma and to pledge to help address this problem. And then fourth, uh, research evidence on the prevalence of health consequences of weight stigma really has played an important role in providing relevant evidence for policy initiatives to address weight stigma here in the U.S. And I've highlighted three examples to illustrate this. One is um, efforts by state legislators in the U.S. to introduce state laws to prohibit weight discrimination. And, and they uh, suggest doing this by adding body weight as a protected category in existing state civil rights laws. So currently in the U.S., only one state has this kind of legislation, and that state is Michigan. And they actually passed their law almost 40 years ago now. But other states are trying to do the same. Massachusetts has introduced this legislation a number of times and is getting closer to a victory, uh, which is in part because of researchers who have testified at state legislative uh, hearings and shared research on the harms of weight stigma. A second example is the American Medical Association, uh, who passed resolutions in the, the last several years to address weight stigma through education of healthcare professionals and uh, promoting non-stigmatizing language and communication. And a third example is the American Academy of Pediatrics, who published uh, the first policy statement on weight stigma affecting children. And this policy statement really summarizes research evidence on the harmful consequences of weight stigma affecting children and recommends that pediatricians address weight stigma in their clinical practice with children and families. So really none of these policy initiatives would have progressed or been established uh, without research evidence on the harms of weight stigma. So collectively with um, these examples that uh, we've observed just how important research has been to inform these broader initiatives um, and, and really highlights, I think, the importance of studying weight stigma both within the context of obesity but also outside the context of obesity. Certainly prioritizing weight stigma 
um, in the context of prevention and treatment of obesity is important and it's necessary to improve the quality of life of people who are affected. But that in itself is, is likely not going to be sufficient to, to reduce broader societal weight stigma and discrimination. Um, again, you know, weight stigma is both a social injustice and a public health issue. And so only with research that addresses weight stigma within a broader social ecological framework that attends to the interpersonal and institutional and societal and policy levels, uh, can we really effectively address and reduce weight stigma um, and its harmful? So I'm going to stop there so that we have enough time for questions and discussion. And I'd like to uh, thank you very much again for your time and attention today.